Agile for Humans is brought to you by Audible.com. Get one free audiobook and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com forward slash Agile. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player, including Scrum, The Art of Doing Twice the Work in Half the Time by Jeff Sutherland, and Crucial Conversations by Carrie Patterson. Visit www.audibletrial.com forward slash agile to enjoy your free audiobook today. Processes and tools dominate today's agile discussions, but we are devoted to the individuals and interactions that make it work. From the beginner to the veteran practitioner, we have something for you. Welcome to Agile for Humans. All right. Welcome to this week's episode of Agile for Humans. I'm your host, Ryan Ripley. Joining me tonight, longtime friend and co-host, Amitai Schleier. Amitai, how are you, sir? I'm well, better than I've been in a long time. And as long as you can hear me, then this whole arrangement is working super well. Yes, you are You are at the edge of the internet, the end of the line, but uh, so far, so good. Joining us also tonight, a, a past guest, and actually gentleman who came on who did one of my favorite shows. So, Ron Cartel, how are you, sir? Good. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you for having me here. Thanks for coming back. I really, you know, the listeners, some of them will, rem- will remember uh, the fast agile discussion we had, some of the problems with impl- implementing Scrum, uh, the gaps between Agile and XP, just some, some really fabulous topics. And so, really had a great time from... Uh, that past experience got a lot of good feedback on that show. Really excited you came back. You know, just really appreciative that you're here. Yeah, thank you. And and hi, Amitai. It's uh, good good to hear you. We got to meet face to face last year and got to hang out for a while. And I uh, hope, hope to uh, see you in person again soon. I hope so as well. Good to be talking to you again. So, Ron, you fired off a tweet that uh, caught a lot of attention, definitely got uh, a few people buzzing around it. I think you did this about two weeks ago, and you were talking about a Greenfield software project where you were doing some very cool things. And I I think uh, a few of them that you mentioned in the tweet uh, were variable length iterations and no estimates. So Mm -hmm. definitely a topic that our listeners are used to hearing on this show. But it sounds like you're going for this this high-powered team concept. And I was wondering if we could start it perhaps the no estimates and work down. But uh, it sounds like you've got some really interesting concepts that, uh, that you're working through that perhaps our audience would find interesting. Yeah, it, it's been a very, very interesting project. And we've learned some really cool, cool things. And it's interesting that you mentioned that the, the tweet ra- raised a lot of attention. And that it wasn't even my intention in, in the tweet. It was just like, hey, 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 friends that are listening, here's what I'm currently doing. And uh, I'm finding that if I mention the word no estimates and variable linked iterations, it's getting a lot of attention. And not, not always positive either. It's quite... It, it's been very much eye-opener to me, uh, the kind of reactions that, that I've been getting to that. And I think I like to talk about just the reactions later on as well. Maybe we can start there. So okay. I, I think this is your, you're dipping a toe into the no estimate space. I'm, I'm certain, um, just from our last talk and, and some of our interactions, I'm certain that you've been thinking about some of these things for a while. But this is, I think, one of your initial dips into the hashtag space. You know, what have you found... Um, either interesting or bothering about the the initial reactions um okay so the 
Well, when when this project came along, it was a, a six months project, and and I got a, a fair bit of leeway to do things um, my own way, which I was excited about. So first thing I did was I I put my foot down. I said I'm only going to hire craftsmen, and so I've got a team of uh, six developers, of which which I'm one of, and we're all software craftsmen, and by that I mean we're all doing uh, test driven development and uh, merciless refactoring, uh, simple design, all all of those good practices. And that was, uh, I based the theory, and I wrote, I wrote a paper a little while back called The Brotherhood of Craftsmanship. And, and my theory um, was that craftsmen, um, so Amitai and I have never, have never paired together, but my theory is that if I were to sit down at a workstation with Amitai, and say, hey, let's work, let's start working together. I bet that within an hour, we're both writing productive, we're both productive and writing production-ready software, which is truly remarkable when you think about it. And so I tested that theory out here. I brought six developers. None of us had worked together ever before, but they're all of Craftsman um, standard, and we hit the ground running. So within within two days, we we've worked out our our coding. Um, our team agreements, our coding standards. We've worked out basic project structure. Um, we've set up pairing stations. We've worked out core hours, and bam, we hit the road running. So that was that was just an awesome start to to the project. I, I just read well, actually, about a year ago, I read a paper on. Um, Whose website was it? It was uh, Industrial Logic. It was called Stop Using Story Points. And, and so I read this paper and something struck home with me. So there's always been a smell in the agile world around velocity and estimation and story points. And, and even when I'm coaching teams in, in Scrum, or in iterative development, I, I teach them about the story points and planning poker and all of that and a lot of questions come up and, and I'll, I'll give them a disclaimer I say look I'm teaching you this because it's the it's the best practice uh, well it's widely used you're going to come across it I said but it is flawed I'll tell you right now it's flawed there's got a lot of problems with it and, and it's not that I don't know the answers to all those questions because there is always answers like hey what do I do when you don't finish the story and the story you know do you get the credit for the points that you know those those things that come up over and over again. I'm like, look, there's answers to all of these, but this this um, concept of velocity and story points is a dirty, dirty, rotten hack. Um, if I had something else to give you, I would give it to you. But right now, this is the best we've got, and this is what the industry is using. So I was excited to read this paper about stop using story points because I was searching because I knew there was – I. I know that there's something better, but I didn't know what yet. And so this was the first paper that I read that that got me excited to say, "Wow, look, other people are seeing the same problem. This is good." And they're they're experimenting, they're trying with something different. And so in this paper, uh, I think it predates it predates no est- the no estimates kind of um popularity concept that that's going around now. Um but in this paper, they 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 came up with this concept of variable length iterations, and there was a there was another kind of estimation technique that they were using. But I was particularly interested in the in the variable length iterations, 
because it kind of felt right to me that um, if we're if we're splitting iterations up, you know, if we're saying an iteration is two weeks, then you you've come up with um, you're pulling work into the iteration, and we're saying all right, we can get these stories done here because those you know our velocity last iteration was twenty, and we've got you know these three stories will take us to. 18, uh, we've got space for two more. Oh, what should we do? Well, there's that story there. Well, we're going to have to split that one to get it in. Okay, we'll do that. So now you're you're kind of arbitrarily splitting stories just to fit them into an iteration. And and you're also moving a little bit away from the one of the goals of Scrum is the, is the, the sprint goal. And the, the in the pure Scrum, like a, a sprint is supposed to represent uh, a goal. Like... As you work through your project, you're saying, hey, right, next iteration, we're going to try and get this thing done. And that, and when you describe this thing, that's the kind of goal. Um, and then once you got that thing done, you go, great, now this is working. Well, now next week, we need to refine that thing a bit more. And that will be the goal of that one. Or let's take on this new thing because that's going to interact with that and that will build this area out over here. So you should be able to describe your sprints in that fashion. And that's the theory of Scrum, but the reality of Scrum, you don't see that. It's more often like you're shoving, you're shoving stories that fit into the sprint because that's what meets the velocity. So you kind of lose that feeling of the sprint goal. So my first, my first goal, my first thing I wanted to experiment with was uh, variable length iterations. So immediately, like everyone in the team is a little bit... Um, which was surprising because I thought, hey, we're all craftsmen. We're all used to experimenting. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, all right, we're going to do variable length iterations. And they're like, why are we doing that? <laughs> and I'm like, well, because it seems like a fun experiment. And I said, and you know what? If it doesn't work, we'll know very quick, you know, very soon on. And we can always roll back to what we know, like sprint, you know, fixed size prints and planning poker or story points. I said, we all know how to do that. We can roll back to that state. So we're in a good spot. We've got the approval of, of the client and the customer. They're okay with us experimenting and we're ready to fall back if things don't go wrong. So that was a surprise to me as well that like people aren't used to, always used to or ready to, to try experimenting. Whereas I'm, I'm, I'm kind of jumping at, at the opportunity to try something new. Right, I've been doing, you know, iterative development for so long in the same kind of pattern. I'm just like, this is great. This might fix this problem that I've seen with velocity and and, and stories. Let's try something. So that was the first goal. Really, was the variable length iterations. Uh, and as soon as you know the, the team agreed to try it, well, then the next thing became obvious that, well, if if it doesn't matter. Uh, like if we're not making a promise on on or an estimate on when the the iteration finishes, so we'll just take on a a chunk of work, a sensible chunk of work that represents what I call the minimal viable increment. So what's the, what's a sensible increment which would represent something you'd want to demo, and what's the smallest increment that you can think of, and that will be the that's what fits in the iteration. Well, if we if we're not bound by time. Well, then we don't need to necessarily estimate how how much effort or time goes into each story or task. So immediately, no estimates kicked in. 
I'm like, well, that's cool. <laughs> so my first real goal was to experiment with variable length iterations. But as soon as you switch to that mode, it kind of makes sense not to estimate as well. So we kind of agreed. Um, we said, well, why don't we try variable length iterations and not estimating? And so everyone was a little more scared because now we're trying two things, or that's what it felt like. But really, the two were kind of intrinsically tied together. And it... I've got to say, it felt it felt a little unusual to start out with, only because we're so used to working this other way. But very soon, for me, it felt very natural. Uh, it felt like a huge release to uh, not have grooming sessions. And you think how much time, uh, if we go back to the Scrum framework, they've got, um, it used to be called the grooming meeting, grooming session. They call it something else in Scrum 3.0. It's called... I think it's uh, refinement. That's it, backlog refinement. Now, in a, in a two, is it, there's a magic formula. Is it like 10% of your time is spent, no more than 10% is spent in this refinement? If you add up how much time you spend just in that meeting, that is a very expensive meeting. If you've got the entire team sitting in a room just uh, sizing work. Now, ag agreed, backlog refinement is more than just estimating sizes, but most of the time it's it's uh, estimating size. Or even regardless of that, how much time does a team spend estimating sizes and arguing about sizes? <laughs> it's It was such a relief to be free of that burden. <laughs> and it kind of made me, I don't want to call it a waste because well, in this in this project, it would be a waste because we are finding we don't need it. So all that time that we would have spent estimating and all that argument and energy and thought, you know, valuable thought process time is now freed up to write code. And <laughs> we're actually, it feels like we're a lot more productive just being released from uh, from that burden. As I think through your story, I, I I think it is a natural way to work, and I and I have found many other stories like this. How did the discussion with the customer or your current client, how did that start when you were when you started talking about uh, these alternative practices and and some of the the, the different experiments you were going to do? You know, what was, what did that conversation look like? How did you get that approval? And and what were some of the the ways that they could check and see if they were getting what they were paying for and still assurance that they were getting the software that they needed? Yeah, that, that's a great question. And, and uh, so I'm going to go into that one, which is then probably going to lead into one of my, re my revelations around, around experimentation in general. Because I, I was talking about, about this project recently at a, at a conference, and the reactions there were, were quite remarkable. So I, I mentioned that so I don't forget to come back to it. So actually, I'll link, that, I'll link the two in together. So at the conference, I was talking about this topic and I wanted to start by saying, look, I don't have any answers for you here. I'm here to tell you uh, about an experiment that I'm running and what I've found. So I'm going to give you what I'm doing and the data that, that I've got. And you can take that with you and choose to use it any way you feel. But what I don't have is I don't have a, a magic bullet, a formula for you. You know, I don't have scrum with no estimates 
paper for you to read and you to 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 apply to your own company. I said basically, you if you're interested in no estimates or or uh, variable length iterations, you're going to have to work a lot of this stuff out for for yourself. But I'm happy to share with what I've done, and it isn't a magic formula. Uh, which was kind of interesting because people start asking, well, well, what about this situation? I'm like, well, I don't know about that situation because I'm not in that situation. I'm just telling you about the situation I'm in. So the situation I'm in has been kind of unique in that the product owner, uh, when when we took on the project, he kind of laid out uh, an estimate beforehand of – he said, well, maybe estimate's not a good, let's use the word forecast, a forecast of, well, if things were on track, because he had to come up with originally, like, why is it a six-month project? And so he said, well, I think if, if, if in the first month we could get these things done and then in the second month we could get these things done. So he kind of, he gave us his Word document, which had six months. And, and inside each month, he described what he would like to see done in that month. And if you added it all up, so it was kind of a very lightweight, you could think of it almost as a waterfall and that they were milestones, but there was no sizing or estimating on it. It was just a wild guesstimate from him to say, well, here's what, because he had to present something to his company and said, well, here's why it's a six-month project. So he was showing us this to help us get an understanding of the project. And I said, well, look, why don't we work on the assumption that we can track to that schedule? And uh, as soon as it becomes obvious that we can't, then we'll, we'll come back and look at doing something different, like whether it's planning or estimating or some forecasting. But until that point, why don't we just assume that we can meet the milestones that you came up with? And so that, and he's he was he was comfortable with that. He goes, mm, yeah, okay, because I told him, well, you know, we're going to try something different. And he was a little he was a little worried too, uh, particularly around the tasking. He's saying, but you're not going to put estimates on tasks, and and how do you know that people aren't taking too long on the tasks? I said, because we pair program and we meet every morning and you can't hide, <laughs> you know, situations. So, you know, so I managed to calm him down and get him relaxed on all of that and and build up enough trust for him to say, yeah, okay, let's go ahead with, with the experiment. So we started down that path and, and sure enough, like we hit the first month and we were ahead of target. We hit the second month. We were ahead in some in some areas and behind in others, but overall, the product owner is still happy because he's extremely pleased with the amount of um, communication that's going back and forward um, between us. So that's how the whole that was the reaction. Does that answer your question? Is that what around the product owner's concerns? Yeah, definitely. It sounds like built up a relationship of trust, acted transparently, uh, got buy in. From your product owner and then the results are, are proving out to where like you said the the first of all you can't hide yeah which is a a key principle of within no estimates you cannot hide on an agile project and one that's highly collaborative with using techniques like pair and mob programming but then the actual delivery and so that i think it it, it totally made sense as long as i i echoed that back correctly mm-hmm. yeah yeah i'm interested right. to hear a little more about so the there were those kind of first month, I hope to see this, second month, I hope to see this. And that's the story I'm going to tell when I justify the budget that I'm going to get. Uh-huh. I'm wondering, uh, what's, what's the contingency plan besides 
uh, like you said, when we get to where it seems like it's not working, if that ever happens, we'll revisit. What's the worst case scenario if you if we found out maybe in uh, you know month four looks good, month five looks good, month six not going to make it? <laughs> yeah, that's that's uh, that's a good question. In short, I don't know yet because we're not we're not at month five, and so far things are looking good. I think so. We're we're three months in. It's a really good question because just this last iteration, the the product owner realized that his milestones, and this is a perfect example of of an agile project, is so here's his kind of big design up front. You know, if I had a crystal ball, it would go like this. But now we're we're working through it, and he goes. Yeah, that doesn't make sense now. I think what we should work on is this other thing. And we we said, well, you're you know, this is different to what you've got in your document. Are you okay if we stray from that? He goes, yeah, absolutely, because it this it makes more sense for you to work on this thing because then I I can't talk about the project specifically, but it's going to prove out this this other part and it'll help integrating with this other moving piece over here a lot sooner. So he's now the product owner is already. Uh, veering away from his own project, and and so we're we're very much checking in with him to say, look, are you happy with the pace? Are you happy with with what's being delivered? Do you think we can? We're still tracking on time because ultimately, um, you know, he's taking responsibility, and and but on the back end of that, you know, it's always my concern that hey, come. Come that June date, because there's a hard ship date, and we have to ship. So I'm I'm aware of that ship date, and and the team are like, okay, just because the product owner is confident, that doesn't mean we're going to make it too. Like, what can we do as a team to make sure that we're going to hit that ship date? Yeah, and I'm I'm wondering if you had more insight also into the the state of mind of I guess that's the product owner who uh, was willing to give you the rope. Yeah. And I wonder what he had in mind, if it doesn't work out, what his plan B was going to be, if you what had any information about that. Yeah, I don't know. Because he's been so happy with, with what's going on right now, uh, he's fairly confident that we're, we're going to make it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so right now, there is no plan B. I'm glad that, well, we're kind of on plan B in that we're in a different plan from plan A. But we're not, uh, We yeah, we've not made any... Thoughts around, hey, what would the contingency plan be if we got to month five and it looks like we're not going to be done? But from the team's point of view, it's a constant, I kind of like bring the team back to say, hey, what absolutely needs to be in this product and what is nice to have? So anytime you're working on a feature or, you know, we're tasking it out, I'll go, through, I'll go through and I'll say, hey, does this, this is, you know, where does this come from? And someone will say, well, the product owner, you know, mentioned that in this conversation. I said, yeah, but does it make the story done uh, when I say this? So that makes people think about what does the story done mean? Uh, and basically what makes a story done is we, we go back to the, the, the theme of the iteration. So each iteration has a real uh, a sprint goal or an iteration goal. I'm trying to move away from scrum terminology. So we have an iteration goal. And so we look, we compare back to the iteration goal and say, you know what? No, we don't need this. We know we will need it at some point. And so we're continually pulling things off to say, not now, in the future, not now, in the future, and focusing on getting the minimal viable increment done. And we're getting a lot better at that. In the, the, the first two iterations were three weeks long. And I looked, I reread the paper 
and and I said, you know what? We, why aren't we doing one week iterations? We should really look towards like shorter length iterations. And so we caught ourselves taking on too much. Um, and so the next iteration, we we managed to split. I said, hey, you know what? There's kind of two things going on here. Let's just get this part done, and then we'll move this into a second iteration. And that felt really good because we're now like limiting whip as well. Um, so let's focus on getting one thing done and then another thing done instead of a whole bunch of stuff done in, in one iteration. When when your team is deciding to, you know, what comes out of the the iteration, what stays in, uh, just to clarify, is the product owner actively involved in those discussions as well? Um, yes and no. So if there's any if there's any um, uncertainty within the team around that, so I'm really good at pushing it out, <laughs> you know. But I don't want to annoy people too. So they'll say, "No, I'm pretty sure this needs to be in." So at that point, we'll just ask the product owner, say, "Hey, look, you know, w- when we're tasking this thing out, you know, you mentioned this. Does this really need to be now, or can we?" You know, can we do that as part of a, a later iteration? So he gets the ultimate say on it. Quite often, it's it's helping. We're getting better at spotting when when we're bringing our own kind of scope creep into the iteration. And developers are particularly good at it. I've noticed that uh, in this project, we've got a lot of uh, free reign on on what is a story and what what goes into it. And well, some of, some of the developers more than others that. You know, developers love working on really clever things. And so they'll be putting things in. And I'm like, look, that's interesting work and it has to get done, but can we delay it? You know, can we just use hard-coded data here and still deliver? And they're like, yeah, we can. I'm like, great, okay. <laughs> so so that's an example of, of simplifying the storage to just to get things towards uh, – done and and in a demoable state i think what i'm hearing is that the the real answer to what happens in month five if it suddenly looks like you're not going to make it is that there's enough trust in both directions from the team within the team uh to the product owner and vice versa that we had a script but we both agreed we're not going to follow it because we had a better idea that takes trust for developers to be you know held to account for something different than what the document says and vice versa for developers to be given the trust from the product owner. Here's the best way we can think of to to increase the likelihood that we succeed. Can we do that? And the answer is yes. So I think the real answer in in May, if it comes to that, is that you have the kind of relationship that will lead to problem solving if there is one, if there is one. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. Because whilst we haven't come up with a contingency plan, I imagine it would fall out just that way. So we get to May and we're looking at what features are in and what haven't been done yet. And it will be like, okay, we're going to ship in June. How can we ship? Like, what is it going to, you know, what is the sensible thing to do at this point? And we've got a very skilled set of developers. We've got a, a very understanding product owner. And, you know, we will work it out. I feel confident. It might be he say, okay, well, let's, can we switch this feature off and, and, or, you know, just to make this feature work in, in a, a, a way that was not designed, but, you know, just kind of act in half, half of the feature and pull this one in. Let's leave that one out and great where if we can get to there, we're in a good shape. That might happen. So, so what happens if you don't ship? What's at risk? Um, 
and I know you can't go into detail, but just from a very high level, you know, is yeah. this catastrophic to the company? Which again is a um, again we can't name. We're not going to name names, uh -huh. but you're at a you're at a major corporation. Yes. So it's not a it's not a it's not a sole contributor type shop you're working at or contracting with. It's major corporation, six person team, very variable length iterations, driven by sprint goals, active product owner. Uh, no estimates, uh, principles and practices being used. What happens if you miss? So it's interesting because the co the company that that is 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 um, paying for the work that we that we're doing this work for. They're very traditional, and they took some convincing one to do to do this in an agile fashion because they're used to fixed scope, fixed price. Now, luckily, the, the product owner had been exposed to agile development before. And so he managed to convince them, hey, we're going to do this in an agile way and, and managed to calm them down. But their expectation, the, the project has been funded in a in kind of a fixed scope, uh, fixed price fashion. And that after six months, the money runs out. So we know, which is why I'm saying we have to ship in six months because if we don't, then they've got a product that is is 90% done. 90% done isn't going to work for them. So they need something is going to work for them, which which takes us back to being able to ship working software continuously. So our goal is to, before six months is up, in, in fact, next uh, by the end of this next iteration, we'll have what we're calling a pre-alpha release. So we will have released something that they can actually look at so that they can actually deploy and see the first promises of, oh, yeah, this thing is going to do what we want it to do. We can, we've can we now got confidence that there is something. So it's focusing on, okay, now we've got that. How can we get to the next release? Because we need to make sure that come six months, that's not our first release, that we've released enough times before that so that... Even at month five, they've got a, a, a working release. It may not have the entire feature set they want, but come six months, they've got something that they can deploy. It may not be everything they ask for, but they. our goal is to make sure that what they do have is of extremely high quality, that they've been happy with um, what they have had to date, and they feel that they've been given their value for money for the six months of they've they've paid for. So the parameters that you're working with are fixed budget, therefore fixed date. Maybe mm -hmm. that's also market driven. I don't know. Yes, uh, it is. And somewhat variable scope within reason. And then given that, the problem here, the reason why we're talking about estimates or not estimates or the length of iterations or how often you ship is a, is a risk management problem. Mm -hmm. And one option that you could have chosen would have been do like it says in the scrum guide and have your planning meetings and your estimatings and your story points and you can make projections based on that uh, and you, it's a trade-off uh, at least if it works well it's a trade-off that yeah. you take some of the time that you could have been using to to develop the product and validate that it is a shippable thing by shipping it uh, at least in a smaller context you take some of that time and you spend it to get more confident about exactly what you're doing within some range of confidence and about how long it'll take within some range of confidence. So that's one way to manage that risk. But you seem to have found another way. Yeah. Um, releasing uh, little and often, 
and and constant checking in with with the customer to say are you happy with progress do you feel like you're getting your value for money you know do you feel confident that we're going to make it so that's that's the way we've been kind of managing the risk to make sure that we've always going to have something that they will have something and that that something has got the highest value that we can add to it as we go. So each increment adds more value to it, but we're always working on the highest value uh, features that we can at at any given point. And that wasn't you uh, handing down an edict, uh, we're going to work this way or we're not going to work this way. This wasn't you anti-management. This was a decision that you made together with the stakeholders that seems to be serving all of you. Yeah, yeah. It was agreed that we would start out as an experiment, and if it, you know, if it didn't work after two weeks, like hey, the first iteration didn't work out, then we would we would roll back to the standard way of doing it. Um, and so far, we're two months in, and it seems to be going uh, exceedingly well. Everyone in the team is having fun. The product owners is um, very happy with progress. And I'm I'm super surprised at, at how well it works. Uh, I'd be sad not to work uh, in an environment like this again. Well, we'll have to make some kind of a case study of it, an experience report at least. So that yes. when people yeah. say it can't be done, you can say, well, what's this then? Right. And and it's exciting because we're, we're halfway through. I don't know how it's going to pan out. Uh, I've just submitted to the Agile Alliance, uh, to the Agile 2016 conference um, to talk about it as an um, experience study, experience report. And uh, I said, look, we're halfway through. So by the time the conference rolls around, it, it will, be, what will be finished. And that includes a, a six to eight page report uh, if that's accepted. So um, yeah, hopefully there'll be there'll be some you, you can come and listen to it and see how it all ends and and uh, get the uh, eight page report. Maybe it is something we can build out into into a repeatable pattern. I don't know, but um, you know the the first line of the Agile Manifesto. This is what what struck me when I started doing this is that we are uncovering better ways of developing software by doing it and helping others do it. The first line of the Agile Manifesto is that we are uncovering better ways of developing software. Not that we have uncovered, we are uncovering. It's a continual process. There's no mm-hmm. one Agile perfect way. The Agile way, to me, that line says we need to, we will continue to experiment and find better ways of doing it. So Scrum was, was good, but what if there's something even better, right? And that's, that struck home to me, uh, I, I, you know, a number of times I've read it, but then this time I read it, I went, that's what we're doing. Why aren't we experimenting more with, with what Agile means? And, and I'm excited to now kind of be more part of, of that side of, of the Agile world. That we're experimenting with Agile frameworks themselves and, and trying new things. And a little, like you guys know about a fast Agile, the, the, another experiment that I'm trying to, to work with. And that's along the same lines of like, hey, why don't we try experimenting with, with, with this concept of, of using open space to have teams coordinate with each other? Wouldn't that be cool? So I'm, I'm, I'm very excited to be a part of, of, of trying, experimenting with Agile itself. The theme that seems to be running through all this is 
given the people we have, the the context and the goals we have, the constraints we have, what can we think of, whether it's been thought of before or not, that might work better for us now? Yes. Is that, the, is that right? Yeah, that's mm-hmm. exactly right. And like I mentioned before, there, like for a long time, I knew there was a smell in there with 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 velocity. You know, just the number of times you get asked those questions, and everywhere, um, like as an agile consultant, you you'll be familiar with this. You you you'll turn up and you go, oh, they've got problem A, C, D, and F again. It's, so it's the same problem you hit over and over again. You know, around velocity, like it just kind of co- was causing more pro- troubles than good. But I didn't know what the answer was. But I feel like I'm in now empowered to to come up with solutions. I'm like, well, why don't we experiment with <laughs> With something something different, and uh, I was really glad that uh, you know Woody's all is 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 started kind of really making uh, more people aware of of things like mob programming and no estimates, and kind of reminding us all that hey, there is no one right way. Why don't we just keep looking for better ways? Like let's apply continuous improvement to agile itself. I'm really interested in the uh, variable iteration because I don't think I've heard of a no estimates approach based on that. I just wonder kind of intuitively when you set out an iteration goal and then you get to the end of it, do you find that it took less time that you were thinking in your head that it was going to take or maybe it takes more or about the same? Yeah, that's that's an interesting question because when we started with, with variable linked iterations, um, like once we... Once we've bitten off, we've said, "All right, this is the next chunk of work we're going to do based on the next goal." We'll 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 pull out the stories and then we'll put them up on our storyboard and and we'll toss them out and then we look at it and we'll we'll say to the team, "All right, what's your guesstimate on how long this will take?" And everyone kind of just takes a guess, but we do that out of just out of guesstimating. So we never write that down. We never report it to anyone. But I don't know if it's out of force of habit or not, but we, we just do that. But it's been interesting that we've been pretty accurate too. So we'll say, oh, I think that's about a week's work or uh, I think we can do that in two weeks. And we've been uh, pretty accurate on those estimates. Um, but we've never done it for the sake of estimating and it's never been used for any kind of forecasting or calculation. How much would you estimate, to put it that way, uh, that that accuracy, rough though it is, uh, stems from characteristics of the code or how you work together on the code i think it probably yeah it probably comes from from the history that yeah we we've been working together long enough now um and we we know the code we know how each other works and the kind of pace that we move through through tasks so it's that's probably be a big part of it and you're not leaving yourselves uh big unrefactored mess to discover later that you forgot about Yes, yeah. Another aspect that's been extremely re- refreshing around, around further to to what what you mentioned around like leaving things out is when when you when you have variable length iterations and no estimates, you can do some interesting theories things with a story because a story is now a, a post-it note with a few words scribbled on it. So we don't um, go into we don't do acceptance criteria because we're saying okay, we'll we'll have a conversation with the the product owner. So we've kept you know story is a point of conversation, and we'll we'll kind of uh, we know what we're the goal is the the sprint goal. And so the story is a step towards the sprint goal. And so if there's any questions, we'll just 
get it clarified with the product owner. And typically, we'll pick up the story and we'll say, how do we demo this this story? And that kind of helps us decide what what goes into the tasks. But now, what's very freeing, because we know what we want to demo, and some of the would start tasking it out. We're like, you know what? I don't know. We don't know how we do that thing at this point. We're like, we get two tasks down. So we say, all right, well, okay, at this point, we're going to have to do some research and, and you know, look at our options. Um, let's just task it down to there. And so we, we couldn't even task out the entire story. So we'd, we'd start going through, we'd get through this research and then the, the pair or a mob that was working on it would report back and say, all right, here's what we found out that, you know, we've got this option or we've got this option. And then we'll go, all right, well, let's go with that one. That one, you know, we'd pick as a team. Let's go with option A. And then we say, all right, can we task out option A? We're like, mm, not really because... Just because that's the best option, we still don't know what that looks like. All right, well, the task is we'll do a spike on option A. And then, so then we'd spike that out and then we'd come back with the tasks uh, from there. But it, it's it's very refreshing that a story, because in, in a traditional Scrum environment, well, it's a little harder to do that. We typically encourage teams to say, well, let's do the the research in this first sprint and we'll time box it or we'll give you 12 points depends on how you do research and spikes we'll time box that and then the outcome of that will decide what to pull in the next sprint so in this example of doing research and then a spike and then knowing how to do it you might have to spread that out across three sprints in traditional scrum mm-hmm. but in this approach where we say well we don't know how long it's going to take because we're not totally sure how we're going to do it, but we can still take on the story because the story is going to deliver on the, the iteration goal and we discover how long it takes by working through it. And and so some stories we're able to task out from the beginning, but some stories we can't and it's not a problem. And that it feels very natural to be able to work in that fashion to say, you know, our goal is to get this story done and we don't know how we're going to do it, but we're going to find out how to do it by doing it. You know, as we work through, we'll, we'll just work through it. And So you also don't have, per se, a definition of ready other than we feel like it's worth starting and we'll figure it out. Yes. Yeah. Ready means that it's on the board and we've, had a, we've spoken about it as a team. So one of our team agreements is that we, we task out uh, at, the, at the first day of the iteration, we, we task together as a team. And so we've all had the conversation around, you know, how we think we're going to do it. And if there's any big change in, in, um, or any big decisions to make that affect everyone or, or, you know, you get stuck, then we'll call a team huddle. We're like, hey, here's where we're at. We tossed it out this way, but now we're in it. You know what? We think this is totally wrong and we're going to do it this other way. Does that sound good to everyone? You know, quick discussion, retask, and off we go again. And it sounds like Scrum with the time boxes and the, uh, I guess, the exactness of what stories have to be to be defined is an impediment to the kind of more continuous flow that you've been able to find. Yes, it is. Yeah. Yeah, because in, in, in Scrum, it, um, yeah, it is, you're right. There is an impediment because, because you know that, because one of your goals really in, in I'm going to call it in traditional Scrum, in, in corporate Scrum, is to, to meet your commitment. And I know they're not using those words anymore, but you go, well, we, we, we want to make sure that we're going to get 20 points worth of work done. And so you, you have to, 
it's a little bit of big design up front because you have to know that that story is doable in that iteration before you commit to it. So then you end up with this definition of ready and, and definition of done, and it feels like a bit of a contract, you know, that you have to have all these definitions to make sure, yes, you've now won, you got through to the end of it, and we will award you your 20 points. It's, you know, it, it's kind yeah. of, I'm freed up from that now. I can just say, I'm going to do the most sensible thing at the most sensible time um, and do it in a way that I can get it done in the shortest possible time, uh, you know, without bloating. Uh, you know, I promise to get it done in, in the shortest possible time and not bloat it out with uh, technical debt or with, or with uh, scope creep. So that's my promise to you, product owner, and and I think it eliminates so much waste. <laughs> it's been great. It's a trade-off, right? I mean, the the corporate Scrum, uh, to use your term, and, and and I think that's right. The corporate version of Scrum is essentially put in place to make delivery predictable, and so that I think that's really the the big um, allure of it to to many teams, especially ones with low maturity. Uh, from a process perspective, from teams that are not successful at delivering, the predictability of the time boxed releases is very valuable. However, you trade off innovation. So that big design up front takes away those moments, Ron, that I think you're talking about where you can stop, reflect, have some innovative discussions, change direction, change implementation, and then move forward. Does that sound right? Is that resonating? Yes. Yeah, very much so. So, for example, this this next iteration, the the at the iteration boundary, we we just did the the demonstration. The product owner is going to be out of the country, so we know that um, he he's not going to be back for uh, two weeks. So, we we tried to to say, okay, let's make sure that we we've got enough work for for two weeks before the next demo, and. And he said, "Look, there's a there's a chunk of work that I want you to do. It's around this this. Uh, we need to come up with an API because we're going to be talking to this third party. We need to come up with the API, and and if you could actually do an early rev implementation of it and kind of prove it out. And so that was. And so we had a design meeting around what the goal of this API was, what the kind of data that need to go back and forward." And the, and the purpose of it and how it would integrate with what we're currently doing. But the actual implementation of it, it's totally left to us. So today was the, f- was the first day of the iteration. And we're like, hey, you know what? It, it's obviously, it's a web service um, that, that's been spec'd out. But how we implement that web service is totally up to us. Like, are we going to use, you know, Tomcat or do we want to use uh, a Spring container for this web application or, or you know, should we use Python and put this over here? And we're just totally free to do what we think is the most sensible thing to, to get this done. So that innovation, being free to innovate, it's so uh, exciting. And that's I think that's what makes makes a, everyone in the team say this is the best team that we've ever got to work on. Well, and as it turns out, you're going to end up being predictable as well. <laughs> and that's the interesting yes. part. Right. Because we, yeah, we, we didn't set out, you know, we didn't say predictability is the most important thing. We said, well, delivering valuable software on, on very short increments uh, is, is the most important thing. And by doing that, turns out we're being more predictable. <laughs> You clearly have significant value at risk. 
uh, within a, a major corporation, six-person team, fully engaged product owner, initial budget set up front, burning down through that budget. Those seem to be the parameters. Mm-hmm. Without the big design up front, and since you're doing ver- variable length iterations, there's going to be, I think, a question around statusing. And so how is your product owner reporting status back up through his traditional organization? What does that look like? Yeah, I feel, I feel a little bad for him because he's, he's in between <laughs> a rock and a hard place. Uh, so I don't know where the rock and, the, and his company is a hard place because he loves what we're doing. And he, you know, it, this is very exciting for him to work with a team that is, can produce software at the pace that he's seeing produced. And that he's getting the kind of questions he's always getting from us. He's like, I know that you guys are getting it because you're asking the right questions. Um, you're asking me questions I hadn't thought of. Um, so he's excited to be able to work with with a team like this rather than you know just editing a spec the whole time. Uh, so I don't. So where the rock and then his company is the hard place because they're used to traditional um, waterfall style development, and in fact. And they're, they're kind of giving him pressure and saying, you know, hey, how do I know that these guys are working? <laughs> you know, how do I know that they're not behind target? You know, how do I know we're going to make it? How do I know that we're not getting ripped off? And so they kind of insisted on a um, – this is going to make you laugh – a Microsoft Project uh, Gantt chart. So the poor guy, he's had to build <laughs> up uh, – yeah, a Microsoft Project. I don't, I don't even know what he's put in it. But he's he's had to put some stuff in it. Uh, he's tracking to he to be fair, like uh, when when he was getting um, quotes for the job, they they did they did come up with a list of things that had to kind of get checked off. So there is a there is a checklist that he knows of. I mean, we could look at it if we want, but there's no. It doesn't. It's only going to slow our team down if we look at it. Um, but it's there. And so he's just checking things off on that and marking them done in his Gantt chart. And he's updating and changing his Gantt chart um, as he goes along. I feel bad for him. He, had, he hates doing it and he doesn't see a lot of value in it. But he does it uh, just to kind of keep them quiet. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what's in that that uh, that Gantt chart because we don't look at it. But I'm, I'm pretty sure it's <clears throat> just there to keep them with a feeling of safety. But the the point would be that that he is sufficiently informed, or he's making a lot of things up. But either way, the project is generating through the natural progression of the project the information that he needs to report back up. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Sounds like there's enough. You said that the scope was somewhat variable, and it sounds like enough of it is fixed that he can put that in the Gantt chart and just report on that. Yeah, so there's I think he, he gets the massage to Gantt chart a little because there there are a bunch of definite things that need doing and so uh but he's he's got the say of if it's done or not. So if he feels that there's enough done on on a particular thing that's in this Gantt chart, um, for us to get to the June date. So he he will just mark it as complete. To me, Amitai, this sounds like the same, or there's there's similar features to to quite a few of these no estimate stories, and and at the at the forefront, at the center of this one. And Ron, tell me if I'm wrong, but it is a fully engaged product owner who is deciding actively on a regular basis how the money is being spent, 
providing approval to what work is done or not, and receiving the updates they need and the data they need for statusing through the natural progression of the project. Is that right? Yes, absolutely. It's amazing how some of those features continually repeat. All right. Uh, especially that engagement. Mm -hmm. And I'm finding, and maybe Ron, you would agree, that that, that collaborative nature, the way that the, the PO is fully informed, the team is acting completely transparently, uh, seems to move the discussion away from an estimate and more to... Conversation. The, 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 yeah, and the conversation is centered around to, the, to what extent or to which degree are we implementing this feature? Very much, very much so. And and I haven't um, been researching uh, about no estimates, and that, um, so it's refreshing to hear people like yourselves that they are looking into common patterns, because uh, that wasn't my goal to kind of prove anything out around no estimates or variable length iterations. It was really just to I want to try something new because I'm bored of the old stuff, and I think this might work. <laughs> so I'm glad to hear that there's uh, similar patterns that are, that are falling out. Well, what I'm hearing is uh, in order for a product owner to be fully engaged with the team and vice versa, just putting in mind of to what extent is that kind of relationship a prerequisite for working in the way that you are, and to what extent is it an outcome? Yeah, that's that's a good question because I I don't think we could we could have done it without having having the product owner being so involved in that if the other option and there is a spec it's a very very loose spec and there's there's huge mistakes in it and and he just kind of threw that together on the back of a, a, a napkin when he was you know before it kind of started it's a, it's very simple there's only three pages to it. Um, and some of the more complicated aspects of the of the features he kind of described in there. But if if we had to work off a very verbose spec and you know we didn't get access to the product owner, I don't think I think it would it would drastically slow us down. Or even if we were, were able to keep pace, because we would have to start making assumptions. Uh, if you, we didn't have access to the product owner, we're like, well, does this mean this or that? And we couldn't ask someone, so we'd have to go, all right, well, I guess best is is that. And then you go ahead and do that only to find out that that is not the right thing. And then you're going to have to change it, you know, for on the, on the next iteration. Well, that's an element of waste. Uh, okay, it's, it's sure it's agile because we're, we're able to change requirements. But isn't it better to, rather than redo work, to to, to be able to find out, hey, product owner, before before we go down this, you know, we're not sure about this, or we're thinking of this, you know, there's a, there might be a better way to do this, which is this other thing. Can we do that? Is that a good idea? And getting that constant approval and feedback and and understanding, which is a, a key one, because because the spec is so loose, we'll pick something up, we'll read the spec, and we're like, that makes no sense. So, hey, product owner, what were you thinking? <laughs> Uh, and and we can have that conversation. He's on our he's on our uh, stand up each day uh, as well, and he's available to us. So he doesn't he doesn't sit with us, but he's he's in the same city. Um, but he doesn't sit with us, but he's available. Ron, what has surprised you the most, or what what has been your biggest learning item, or, or what's the biggest insight? You know, choose any one of those or all of them if you like. Now that you're working like this mm -hmm. on a on a on a larger valuable project in a 
in a major corporation? I think my biggest takeaway from this, the one um, that I will I got the biggest aha from and, and the biggest return is variable length iterations. So even if you are still sizing stories, a variable length iteration to me just felt more, I kind of got an aha moment on what uh, this what Scrum was supposed to be like in, in as much as the what they talk about the sprint goal. So when you read the, the Scrum guide, it describes a type of Scrum which I really like. I'm like, you know, that sounds really great. But then it gets I feel it gets kind of misapplied in, in a big way when, when we hit corporate Scrum where the focus changes to how do we track progress and and how do we get teams working in, in synchronization. Whereas as soon as we switch to variable length iterations, it freed us up to say, all right, what's the next most sensible thing for this team to work on? And you look at the backlog and you'd pick the items that are naturally grouped together. And the word here is natural. So a natural grouping of items. And then it becomes a natural, each iteration is like a mini release. It's a, it's a natural release point because we're showing you a complete feature or a complete featurelet or it's a sensible chunk of work versus, oh, we did these two stories, you know, they're kind of related to each other and this, this one here, which we just jammed in because we had a bit of space left or this was left over from the last iteration. So there's no more leftover from last iteration. There's no more jamming stuff in because we had space. It becomes a natural chunk of work. And when teams start working in that way, then they start um, thinking more about what is a sensible iteration. Well, Ron, I, I think that's a great place for us to to stop for tonight. I Just like last time, I look at the clock and, and can't believe that an hour has already gone by. This has been a ton of fun and really appreciate you sharing uh, this story and your insights with us tonight. It's been great fun and I, uh, I look forward to to uh, sharing the end of the story come come July. So Ron, would you agree that it's true that you needed a little bit of trust at the beginning in order to start working in this way, but that the amount that you've earned since then is far, far larger than that? Yes, absolutely. Give me a little bit That's of trust, awesome. and now I now have exponential trust. So if we say, hey, we've decided to do this, you know, um, dangling from wires from the ceiling, you know, they'll go, yep, where do you want the wires? Because, <laughs> right? yeah, because yeah, we, we, we've earned that trust. So at this point in the, uh, the show, Ron, we, we like to have our guests provide any, any links, contact information, anything that you have going on that you'd like to promote, uh, just as a way for the, the show to learn more about you and, and to reach out and contact you if they have any, any questions or if they want to uh, keep track of your progress on, on this really interesting experiment. My first big baby, my big my big passion right now is about a project that that I'm, I'm calling Fast Agile, and the website is at fast-agile.com or if you're British, fast-agile.com. Um, and and from that website, you can you can find out how to contact me. So we will get links to the Brotherhood of Code Craftsmanship and Stop Using Story Points by Joshua Karievsky. 
uh, into the show notes as well so that people can see some of that reference material that you were talking about earlier. We'll also link to your Twitter account, which is at Agile Agitator. Great name uh, for, for mm-hmm. Twitter. So we'll make sure that all of those links get in the show notes as well. Great. Thank you. Amitai, what do you have going on? What are you what are you peddling this month? Ooh, well, I got some nostrums and some uh, salves, and they're really cheap right now. <laughs> <laughs> but actually, uh, so the Agile Alliance is also uncovering better ways of running, you know, more and different kind of conferences. And there's a new one they're putting on this April in North Carolina called the Agile Alliance Technical Conference. I will be there uh, presenting a workshop. And there is a possibility that I will be part of a panel. So we'll see how that goes. That is the weekend of uh, April 7th through 9th, just before Agile Indy. And then uh, I have one other new thing to announce, which is if you're the kind of person who's interested in my up- up- upcoming or recent talks, uh, podcasts, writings, um, every now and then a video, I have a new mailing list where I will be announcing those kinds of things. And that is at schmanz.com in the sidebar. That's it for me. Very good. And, and Amitai is way too humble, so I'll pitch a few of his things. Agile in Three Minutes, one of the best Agile podcasts out there. One of my favorites. Uh, really love the, the three minutes of Agile poetry that, that Amitai puts out into the world. If you prefer the written word, he's got a great book out on Lean Pub, which is a collection of Agile in Three Minutes uh, in written form. It's wonderful to read through. Um, read one every morning and it's a great way to kind of focus your mind and, and get thinking about some of these concepts and, and new experiments to try. So he's, he's got those two things that we'll definitely put, uh, in the show notes and some more information about him out at schmanz.com. Thanks, Ryan. And as always, I'm your host, Ryan Ripley at Ryan Ripley on Twitter, ryanripley.com, which is where the podcast and some other posts that I infrequently put out there. Um, you can join the mailing list. You can hit me up on Twitter. Happy to talk about any of these topics or any topics that you're interested in. We do have the ability for you to leave your questions in, uh, in audio format, which could find its way onto the show if you were to leave us a question. So please feel free to leave us a message with questions, comments, or anything else that you would like for us to discuss on the show. Would love to hear from you there. If you're enjoying the show, your feedback is always appreciated. We'd love to see comments in the comments section of the blog site. Happy to respond and get uh, current and past guests involved in interacting as well. If you're listening to this from iTunes, we would, we'd love to read your comments on iTunes. Leave us a review, help spread the word about the show, and uh, please be sure to share this with others. We've had a lot of great growth of the show over the past few months where we blew right past the 25,000 download mark, looking to hit 30 and beyond, and, and it's all because of you guys sharing the show and uh, all of your great support. Uh, Agile Indy, as Amitai mentioned, is coming up, so we will be there podcasting, and I think we're both confirmed speakers at that event. Uh, Path to Agility is coming up in Columbus, Ohio in May, uh, another great event that uh, at least I'll be there. I'm not sure if Amitai, are you making it to Path? Uh, no plans yet, but I'm thinking about it. Another wonderful conference uh, put on at, at The Ohio State University. Wonderful venue, great organization, a lot of fun. And from that point forward, I'm not sure what the schedule looks like, but uh, as we learn more about where we're going to be, we'll keep you up to date. So thank you guys again for the great No Estimates discussion. Uh, I really think this was uh, important to add to the, the No Estimates canon as another, uh, another ex- so far successful experiment that we hope to hear more about soon. And to all of you out there, thank you for being here. Thank you for listening and have a great night. 
Thanks for listening to Agile for Humans. Let's keep the conversation going. Drop us a question on Twitter at Agile for Humans or visit agileforhumans.com.